Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. How many of you guys enjoy that extra hour of sleep? Or... How many of you guys are old like me, and no matter what time, your body just wakes up at the same time? Maybe some of you guys aren't like that. But let me tell you, I heard a joke this week that said a pastor, a priest, and a rabbi walked into a party. The host of the party looked at them and said, what is this, a joke? I know, but here it goes. (laughs) The last place people would associate associate with fun in a party is a church or anything spiritual. According to Barna's research, one of the top reasons that young people and people all together are not going to church is because they think it is one of the most, the church has actually been voted as one of the most boring places in the world. Many people grew up where they thought the church is a place to be solemn and serious. For some of you, you were taught to spit out your gum before you walked into church. You were taught before you went into church, you're supposed to take off your hat. That you're not supposed to laugh, you're not supposed to have fun. When you're in church, you're just supposed to be serious and never smile. And when you went into church, for some of us, not all of us, for some of us, it looked like everybody at church was baptized in pickle juice right before they got there. But, but King David said this in Psalms 1. 22, that I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. David said, I celebrated, I rejoiced, I was excited, I was pumped up. He says, let's go party, let's turn it up in here. That's what, that's what David said. But for many of us, and for many people growing up, going to church wasn't like that. You weren't excited about going to church. For many people... Saying let's go to church is like saying let's go to the dentist office. You just don't get excited about going to the dentist office. It's something you do. It's because you have to. You you make up excuses. You put it off as long as possible. Eventually, your mom or your wife schedule you an appointment to go to the dentist office, and begrudgingly, you go to the dentist office. That's what people think about church. See, because there are some similarities between church and the dentist. The dentist is going to make you feel bad for not coming more often. When I go to the dentist, I know what's going to happen. The dental hygienist is going to ask me some questions about my personal habits. They're going to make me feel guilty. She's going to say things like, when was the last time you flossed? And I'll have to say, you probably know better than me since you were the last one who did it. You can check the records. Whenever was the last time I saw you, that was the last time I flossed. You know, I used to lie about it, but the profuse bleeding on my gums would give me away every time. I realized they know when you floss and when you don't, you know. And at the end of the, every dentist visit, you give them money and you lie that you're going to come back soon. For some of you, because of the upbringing you've had and your experiences in church, you think the church is boring. But boring is not a word that describes the life of Jesus. And the church is is supposed to be birthed after the person of Jesus. This might be surprising to some of you. Jesus was known for being in parties. The first miracle Jesus performed was not in the church building, but it was actually at a wedding party. In fact, the religious people of his day were constantly mad at Jesus because of the parties he attended and who he hung out with. 
And if Jesus was known for partying, shouldn't his church and his followers be known as a place for having fun? The church should be known for joy and celebration. So this morning, I'm saying, let's turn back the clock underneath you. I want everybody to reach down to your right side. On your right side right there is a party favor. There's a party favor on your right side. I want you to get out your party favor. I want you to wave it. Let's begin. Let's party. Let's Come on, let's make some noise. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, let's party. What's up, Freedom Church? Let's get going. Yeah. Yeah, get some candy. Let's party a little bit up in here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Make some noise. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Okay, okay, you can be sitting down now. I'm telling you, the church should feel like one big party. In the parable that we're looking at today, Jesus is going to tell us why we should party. He's going to tell us what causes us to throw a heavenly, what causes all of heaven to throw a party. In the process of this, Jesus is going to confront religious people and their attitudes that cause people to think that the church should be a stale, boring, lifeless place. If you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 15, and I want you to tell you, let's get ready to party. And if you see your neighbor not partying, man, we are going to change this place and make it a place that God intended for his church to be. In Luke 15, Jesus is having a conversation with a group of people about the reason and his mission for coming to the earth. So he tells a series of parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And all these parables speak to the same thing. Jesus uses these parables to answer the complaint that religious people had towards him. So if you have your Bible, turn to me to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners we're all gathering around to hear Jesus. I, I want you to notice that. That verse, first verse is so important. The writer Luke here doesn't even know how to describe these people. Tax collectors were known as crooked, fraudulent people that took advantage of the people. And the people that hung out with these tax collectors, he, he, Luke couldn't find another word, so he called them uh, sinners. So I want you to picture, these aren't the people that go hang out in the PTA. These aren't the people that are in the nice place that you're hanging out with. These are the sketchy people of the culture that Jesus is in. So Luke Luke calls him sinners. He's hanging out with the hood rats. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man, underline this, welcomes sinners and eats with them. In that day, to welcome someone to your table and eat with them was a sign of acceptance. And the religious people were mad. and There was tensions between them. Them and Jesus, between him and Jesus, because the way he interacted with sinners. He's, the religious leaders thought that they were above sinners, yet Jesus treated sinners with compassion. Sinners who didn't like religion and sinners didn't ha- that have anything to do with, with the religion of their day flocked to Jesus. The life of Jesus was attractive to sinners. And this caused tension between G- Jesus and the religious leaders. The religious leaders despised sinners. They looked down on them. They had a term for people who lived around them, who did not keep the laws as strictly as they did. They were called the people of the land. 
and these religious leaders did not associate with them, eat with them, or have anything to do with these types of people. The religious leaders had a saying that's so important that was a part of this parable that they said this about the people of the land. So there is joy in heaven when one sinner is obliterated. This is what they said. There is joy in heaven when one sinner is obliterated. And this is so important because in verse 7 is the most powerful part of this passage because literally it's a mic drop moment of this parable where Jesus says that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. So Jesus is confronting the religious attitude of how people should act and what they should do and why Jesus came. So let's read the parable of the lost sheep as Jesus confronts these religious attitudes. Let's go to verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. How many of you guys just lose things? Man, I found out there's two people in the world, those who lose things and those who find things. And we find ourselves in one of those categories. If you do not know what category you're in, just think of one word, keys. I am in the one that's constantly losing my car keys. Always, all the time. And here's one thing. Every time I lose something, you know who I blame? Not myself, Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer, where have you misplaced my keys? And we, we get in so many arguments because of, I'm blaming her for all the bad things I do. I don't want to take blame for losing my keys. And when you lose something, you know, you get mad, you get aggravated, you get angry. And that's important. And I want you to think about that because... And he says, when you, when you lose something, doesn't he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then he finds it. He, this is interesting. What does he do? If that was me, I'd kick the sheep. I'd punch it. I'm like, where are you, you dumb sheep? You made me lose the entire day. Like, oh, man, I'm mad. I'm aggravated. I'm spanking you. You've ever lost your kid? And you're like, Oof, where are? But Jesus doesn't do this. When he finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends. That's another important word in this passage. Circle, underlight, highlight, smiley face. Friends, very important. And the neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us everything you would have in this parable. Lord, I thank you for this parable. Just say, say, Jesus, Lord, let me help me to party over what you party about. Jesus, say, Jesus, help me to rejoice over what you rejoice in. Jesus, change the way I view life through this parable because that's what you're doing. Amen. One of the great things about parables is they're pretty easy to understand the point of the story. So I don't feel like I got to do a ton of unpacking about certain hitting meanings about the parable. It's pretty self-explanatory, especially this one. We have a lost sheep. We have a shepherd who goes after it. And we have a party that breaks out when the lost sheep is found. So first, let's talk about the sheep. All throughout the Old Testament, God compares his people to the nature and the character of a sheep. For example, in Isaiah, he speaks through Isaiah, says that we, like sheep, have gone astray. That's what we do. Ezekiel says, my sheep have wandered over all the mountains and over all the hills. And let me tell you, sheep are not portrayed in the best light in Scripture. They are prone to wander. They're prone to leave the path. Rancher Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And in the book he writes, a sheep require, the sheep, that sheep require more attention and meticulous care than any other livestock. They are ne they're nearsighted 
they're stubborn, they're easily frightened, and they said they're among the most, the dumbest animals in the world. They tend to get lost and have no homing device like dogs or cats. See, sheep, they're smelly animals. Sheep do nothing to clean themselves. They don't bathe, they don't roll, they don't even lick themselves. At least a dog licks themselves. They remain filthy and smelly until a shepherd cleans them. And the, this parable, Jesus is calling every one of us sheep. He's calling the Pharisees sheep. Not very flattering. Sheep have issues. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, I have issues. Just turn to your neighbor and tell him I have issues. Tell him. Okay. Okay. Now, now you, and I want you to turn to your other neighbor because that one might have been a little stuck up. That one didn't, might not have thought about it, but I want you to turn to your other neighbor and say, no, no, seriously, I have issues. Tell them, I have issues. And, and, and he, here's the question I have for us. Why is it that we feel so much pressure to be something we're not when we walk into church? Like, Lord, I love you. Fighting with your wife. Oh, why are you doing? Blessed, brother. Highly favored. Thank you, Jesus. Man, you know you're fighting the car. You know you're a Christian cussing before you got up in here, but no, everything's good once you walk in those doors, huh? Sometimes church can be like the high school prom. Everybody gets dressed up, they put on their pretty face, but we must be willing to admit that we need help. Church is the one place where it's okay not to be okay. We're all jacked up, but we have a, we're not perfect, but we have a God that is perfecting us. Though it's not okay to, though it's okay not to be okay, it's not okay to stay that way because a God will come in and transform you and change you if you let him. But don't miss the point. Don't get offended that, you, that Jesus is calling you a dumb sheep. That's not what he's really saying. The bragging point that is that we have an amazing good shepherd that is on a mission to find us, that he is for us, that he leaves the 99 for the one. Verse 4 says, he searches until he finds the sheep. He puts himself in perilous predicaments so that he could find you and love you. And that's the good news. See, in this parable, Jesus gives us a clear picture of the gospel. That apart from Christ, we are weak and vulnerable and exposed to enemy attacks. Yet it's Christ's desire that we find safety in his presence, in his arms, and we find a home with him forever. And that if anything wants to get to you when you're a Christian, it has to go through Jesus first. And look at the beautiful image in verse 5. When he finds it, he doesn't judge it. He doesn't say, why are you here? He doesn't say, man, what I told you. He, he didn't give him a lecture. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he takes it home. And a lot of people think that God's mad at them, that he wants to give him a lecture, that he's angry. No, God wants to bring you home. If that was me, if I was a sheep, I'm just telling you, I'd be kicking that sheep all the way home. But not God. He puts it on his shoulders. And here's a lesson we learn. We have a God that pursues us. As we wander in the wilderness. Maybe you're here today. And you're the sheep that's lost in the pain of a bad marriage. Or a marriage gone bad. Jesus is pursuing you. Maybe you're locked up in a prison of addiction. And wondering if a loving God can forgive you for doing the same thing over and over again. He's pursuing you. Whatever it is you find yourself in, Jesus the good shepherd is pursuing you and won't stop until he finds you. Jesus does the pursuing. We simply respond to his pursuing by surrendering. I want you to notice in the parable. Look at it. 
Worship and rejoicing doesn't start with us. The party doesn't start with us, Freedom Church. What does it start? It starts with God. He initiates it. What does he say? Rejoice with me. This party starts with the joy of the Father. We simply respond. Nothing else on the face of this planet should bring more joy than responding to the gospel. And we need to, let's practice this for a second. I want to say, don't be afraid. It's all right to shout back. It's all right to get out your party favor for a while during this moment. We're about to have church up in here because I'm going to tell you what the gospel did for you. Can I give you a couple of verses that should maybe have a party start in your soul? John 1.12 said this, although I may have been orphaned and abandoned, God has now called me his child. John 15, 15 says, though I was once an enemy to the cross, Jesus now calls me friend. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, although that I was alone wandering in the wilderness, he has now made me part of the body of Christ. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, though condemnation was upon me, he says, now freedom is my song. Romans 8, 28 says, God is working all things. I mean all things together for the good. All things, even the mess and the trial. God is working them out for those who are in Christ. Philippians 1, 6 says, God has started a work and guess what? He ain't done yet. God has started a work in you. And no matter what your circumstances are coming into this service this week, you're not dead yet. He's not done yet. Don't give up because he is working his beauty in your life. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, fear is not my M.O., but now I have a spirit of love, of sound mind and power. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship. As we reflect on the gospel, a party should break out on our soul. And it should manifest on our emotions and in our worship and our thoughts. So I want you to get your party clapper out right now. Let's party for everything that God has done for us. Stand to your feet. Let's party. Let's party. Yeah. Yeah. Throw a party. Yeah, yeah. I love our dancer. You can rent him for $15 an hour. 20 if you want the little shimmy, right, Keith? Here's what we learn. Remembering the gospel should cause a party in your soul to break out. See, but I want you to notice this, how contagious this joy is. Notice the chain reaction, the domino effect of joy in this passage. Joy, where does it start? In the heart of the shepherd. And then the joy trickles down to the church. He calls his friends. I told you to underline that. I'll come back to that later. And says, rejoice with me. And then it goes all the way up to heaven. It says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And what I love is that Jesus is just slapping these stiff-necked religious leaders in verse 5. See, you don't mess with Jesus. Jesus was straight up. He'll just get to the point and he'll tell you and he'll call you in. He'll tell you a story and then he'll just mad dog you. Say, yeah. Talking to you. Jesus says this. Let me tell you what this means. I rejoice when the lost return home. And verse 5 is so important. It says, my friends rejoice over what I rejoice over. My friends. The people that love me. The people that know me. 
The people that are my friends. Like, you know, Abraham was a friend of God. He rejoices over these things. And the logic of this parable is he's looking at these religious leaders and he's looking at these Pharisees and he says, you must not be friends of God if you don't rejoice when the lost are found. And he drops the mic and everybody's roasted. And the disciples are like, oh! And here's what we learn. Friends of Jesus throw a party when the lost are found. Freedom Church, we exist to share the same freedom we have experienced in Christ. It's our vision. It's why we do what we do. It's why we serve our city. It's why we serve the youth of the Williamson County Detention Center. It's why we do sermon series like at the movies. It's why we support so many missionaries. As Christ, as a Christ follower, nothing gives me greater joy than seeing someone who is lost found. It's the very reason Jennifer and I planted the church. It's the reason why in November 27th, a month for me, pray for me, I'm going to go to Johannesburg. I'm going to Ethiopia. I'm going to Nigeria. I'm going to be able to train some pastors and preach the gospel in Africa because I believe that the lost need to be found. That's why baptism services are one of my favorite services. This past August, we celebrated 24 people coming of faith in the newly purchased land. It was an amazing day. Let's just, let's just look and just celebrate. Let's remember what God has done. Watch the screen. Watch this video. All the people that got baptized just a couple months ago. Every person, every person that was baptized day represents a name and a story. And let me tell you, Jesus knows the one. We get lost up with all these baptisms, but Jesus rejoices over the one. He throws a party for the one. Let me, let me tell you just about one of those couples, Julian and Diane. Julian and Diane got baptized this past August. They walked into Freedom Church back in 2014. Joel and Ray, our keyboard player, our, one of our, our worship pastors, and Ray, who plays the drums, invited them. That's why it's so important to invite your friends. Let me tell you, when you invite your friends, it's not just a simple invitation. Like God can literally transform their lives. It, it's, like you just invite them. You think it's no big deal. But you know what? When they walk into the church, God can transform a family. We need to invite people to church. Joel and Ray invited them to church. And they were both searching for meaning. Joel had been brought up in a very religious background of Christianity he was attending. He was so turned off by the Christian faith. He went on a search for various faiths for meaning. He looked into Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Islam, New Age. His wife, Diane, had never really gone to church consistently. But the moment they walked into Freedom Church, they heard the gospel. And this is what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing 
from the word of God. As the word of God is preached, God begins to move. And because of your love and the way you accepted him, God began to change your lives. God began to allow them to know who Jesus was through you, through the building, through church, through God, through Freedom Church. And God has helped Diane now overcome depression. God has healed their family. God has worked with Julian. They have found a place in God's house. Julian serves in our media team. He's back there. Give it up for Julian. Diane is one of our leaders. She leads teaching our preschool team. And this is just one of the many stories we celebrate here at Freedom Church. If God has changed your life since you have walked in the doors of Freedom Church, just raise your hands. If you've been changed, man, look, look, look at all those hands. Man, we should celebrate. Man, get on your feet. Get on your party clappers. Let's party. Hey, Keith, go do some dances. Do some dances. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Love it, right? Who said church is boring? Get the right dancer up in here, changes everything. <laughs> Even the pulpit. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this, that joy is serious business in heaven. It's the, it's the business of heaven. Like, we think we're going to just be solemnly going out there, floating in clouds, and be bored out of our minds. Let me tell you, heaven's going to be off the chain. It's going to be the funnest thing you've ever been a part of. And our father is joyful when the lost are found. And I want more than anything to please my father. And as Christians, here's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to keep this party going. That we would never stop. I want to be a part of a church that knows how to love people and that searches for the one. Over the years, I've received many interesting gifts as a pastor. There's one gift that I've received in particular that uh, isn't just interesting, it's rather large. Because this gift goes so well with my sermon, I thought I would show it to you this morning. Not many people have seen this. Uh, it was in my garage for one time when we were in Dallas. But uh, Jennifer doesn't let me hang it up, but I'm going to show you this picture. Yeah. Wow, it's right. <laughs> one time when we were in Dallas, Israel, who was our one of our first media pastor, walked into the garage to get something. He saw that and he thought, I'm scared. <laughs> I showed that to my girls for the first time and they're like, Dad, what is that? <laughs> Let me tell you how. The story behind that. When I was a youth pastor, I met a troubled skater kid while I was visiting a local middle school one day. I invited him to church, and he started coming regularly. He started getting really involved in church. His older, younger brother got, grew up, and he started coming to church. And they brought, they, they, they filled, them and their friends filled a whole bus just from their neighborhood. After a while, before too long, his entire family started coming to church. His dad was an artist. He said, Benito, 
Give me this picture. This is what you've done for my family. You put them on your back and you brought them home. The reason I keep it is because it reminds me that my job is that I get to share the responsibility that the lost are found. That I get to be part of keeping the party going. And I want to give you three things you need to do as a Christian to keep the party going. Number one is this. Be willing to work to find the lost. You got to work. We can't just acknowledge the lost. We need to find them, look for them. We just can't see the hurting. We need to help them. We just can't be so caught up in our own world. We need to step out into our, outside of our world and find people that can believe like us, act like us, vote like us, or even think like us or look like us. And then we got to receive the lost with joy and love. As followers of Christ, we are to walk in grace because we have been given such amazing grace ourselves. Here's what I say at Freedom Church. We don't expect anybody to act like a Christian that is not a Christian. Because you cannot act like a Christian unless the spirit of Christ is inside of you. So we got to get a little bit uncomfortable with words or things or ideas that are a little bit different than ours. Because God needs to transform a life, not us. And when people walk in that are different than us, we need to love them where they're at. See, Jesus accepted and loved everyone unconditionally. He was sinners, the hood rats, the sketchy people, before they even acknowledged him as God. With Jesus, people immediately belonged, even before they believed in him and behaved the right way. But the religious leaders demanded that they behave the right way. Go through all the customs and the rituals and follow all the law. Then they'll teach them what to believe and then they could belong. But here at Freedom Church, no matter where you're at, whether you believe in God or not, whether if it's your first time, whether you don't even think there's a God, we want to let you know you belong before you can believe. We love you. And the third thing we need to do is we need to rejoice when the lost are found. This is the drumbeat of Freedom Church. Every person matters to God. It's why we do what we do. It's why I worked five jobs in the early years so that people can know Jesus. It's why I wake up. It's why I pray. I want my city to know Jesus. I want my world to know Jesus. Why? Because he's given me so much joy and it can't stay in here. It starts in the heart of the Father. It goes to the church. And when that party starts kicking, all of heaven celebrates. That's what it says. And, I close, and as Jesus closes his parable, he immediately goes to the parable of the lost coin. It's the same story in a different way. It's a parable of a woman who goes on an all-out search to find a valuable coin. She sweeps the house. She clears everything. Here's what I want to challenge you as we close. I believe this with all my heart. I want you to believe it with me. That God wants to throw a massive heavenly party to break out in the city of Round Rock. That would affect the nations. I'm not talking about a drunken party on 6th Street. But I'm talking about a party where lost are being found. I, I look at 1651 Sandbass Road. 11 acres in the heart of the city. And I don't see buildings. And I don't see a lot of brick and mortar there. You know what I see? I see a party of lost people being found. I see youth finding faith in Christ. Youth like my boy Stephen Hooper. 
who came to faith a year ago. Now he's here every Sunday. He's the first one both services serving. He always brings somebody with him. He wants to be a youth pastor. Man, he God has transformed him and changed him in the city. And I believe there are hundreds of other Stephen Loopers that we need to party for. I believe 1651 Sambass Road signifies marriages being restored. Think of Casey and Melissa who've moved away, who both were living with other partners at a time, and now God has restored them. I just texted Casey a couple weeks ago. They're going to church. They're plugged in, and God restored their marriage here at Freedom Church. I believe there are more marriages to be restored. I think of addicts being set free. Think of the first person that came to faith through Freedom Church. His name was Rick. I talked to him yesterday. Yesterday he said, Benito, thank you because of your love. I know the love of Jesus. For Man, for 10 years he was a heroin addict. And yesterday he told me, for he has now been free for the longest time of his life. 26 months sober. Praise God. I believe people find, are going to find their purpose. Their God-given destiny. I believe missionaries are going to find rest. I believe those properties will be for missionaries who won't have to be able to. They won't have to pay rent and do all different things. But if missionaries like Brandy or Jimmy would want to come in, they could stay in those homes for free. And God could use us to bless missionaries because they are blessing the world. I believe God wants the lost to find a home in 1651 Sam Bass Road. And I believe God wants to start a party. He wants to celebrate these things so I want you to stand to your feet and I want us to be a church that is alive so let's close by singing this song